You like Fireboy? I do. You're listening to Your Tables on Fire. A weekly conversation with the hottest game designers on Kickstarter. Here comes your host, Jeff Beck. Hello. Thanks for tuning in to your Tables on Fire. Please enjoy this special bonus episode recorded live at BGGCon. All right, I'm at BGGCon here with a special guest. Why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, my name's Gil Hova. I am the owner of Formal Ferret Games. Uh, I designed The Networks and Bad Medicine and Wordsy, which is coming out next year. All right, and Wordsy is currently on Kickstarter, is that right? Wordsy will be on Kickstarter until the end of November. Fantastic. Well, Gil, why don't you uh, just take a moment and kind of tell us how you got into gaming in the first place? Well, I loved video games as a kid. I loved the cinematic experience of the whole thing and the escapism. So I wanted to learn how to make video games. That was always a thing I wanted to try. So I, in my early 20s, I felt that if I wanted to learn how to make a video game, I should study how to make a board game. I started getting into board games, and then I realized that I like board games more than I like video games, and I don't play video games anymore now. <laughs> was there a game that you were playing that convinced you that board games were the thing, or was it actually part of the design process that had you make that conversion? It was Puerto Rico. Okay. Puerto Rico, because like growing up, I knew of board games that were not traditional. Like For example, I had games like Ogre and Illuminati. Uh, growing up, but you know those games are all like screw your neighbor kind of games. They're all take that. Uh, so to me, board games at the time were always games you know combined with games like Trouble and Sorry and Monopoly. Those were all things that are like, uh, well, board games all have to have some involvement of screwage. And well, Puerto Rico, there are some things you can do. Uh, they're not like you can't blow up someone's building in Puerto Rico. Like you could ship their coffee. But that's not like a direct interaction. It's very different. And, and there are all these cool intertwining mechanisms that I never thought was possible. And it had this level of engagement that I was just blown away by. So I loved it. And uh, that really got me down the path of, uh, well, maybe I like this a lot better. Uh, partially also because I got to actually sit with people, interact with them. And I was a very shy person back then. So this really got me out of my shell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. So talk to us about maybe one of the first games you designed. What did that look like? So before I was published, you mean? Oh, yeah, like like very early, you know, literally the very first game you, you put out. Oh, my gosh. Well, not put out. Uh, <laughs> I mean, on a table. <laughs> on a table, yeah. So the first attempt was a paper, scissors, rock tournament that w- the players were all psychic. Um, that was terrible. <laughs> And uh, then I had a game of um, a race game where uh, spaceships race around a star. And that was not as terrible, but still really bad. Uh, I had a card game about uh, building a monster from discarded body parts. And uh, that started really bad and became uh, firmly mediocre. And then I had a game about media outlets that were trying to predict the end of the world. And that was... um, okay. So you see there's a progression from really horrendous to okay. And I think with my first published game, Prolix, that was the first time I made a game that was good. Um, And then from there, I've been going, my aim has been to go from good to great. So you've gone the the published route and now you're doing the self-publishing route. Mm -hmm. 
what what have you found as the pros and cons for either? Uh, so the reason I'm self-publishing is I have complete control over the game. Yeah, like it is exactly what I want. You know, there's no surprises. There's no. I hate having to like seeing something is the right way to do, but I've got to now. I've got to argue my case. You know, um, I. I really prefer just being in control. Like, I want what directors call final cut over the game. So, with a published game, I mean, when I pitch to publishers, you know, I have to lose the control. I have to sacrifice control. And I think that's good for designers who make a lot of games at the same time and just work in in volume. Like, they just they, they have, like, 10, 20 games that they're constantly pitching to, to different publishers, looking for matches... And then, you know, the idea is the designer will get the game, like, 90% there, and then the publisher will treat the final 10% to suit their needs. I want a lot more control over this. You know, I feel like my games are an extension of me, so I want 100% control. And I can't do that without self-publishing. Interesting. Well, speaking of self-publishing, Formal Ferret Games, obvious question, what's up with Formal Ferrets? (laughs) Well, I've owned various ferrets for 20 years, so I'm crazy about them. Uh, my avatar online for a very long time was this pixelated image of a ferret wearing a bow tie. <laughs> and I got that from a uh, store that is no longer in business, but that was out of their ferret clothing section. It was their image for a ferret bow tie <laughs> that you could just clip onto your ferret and it would make your ferret miserable. <laughs> and I figured that if I was going to have a company, it would be something distinctive, like something that people recognize me for. And people in the gaming scene knew of my avatar. They knew of... Because by the time I had two published games before I started self-publishing, I'd already built up a bit of a following. So I felt like I needed something that continued that. So, yeah, I'd use my avatar. But I couldn't use that pixelated image that, you know, was okay to use as a personal avatar, but probably not so good as a corporate logo. So I had an artist reinterpret it, the artist added the hat, and Formal Ferret Games was born. That's pretty great. Well, let's talk about Wordsy for a minute. Um, For those that aren't familiar with the game, tell us about Wordsy. Absolutely. So Wordsy is a re-implementation of my first published game. My first published game was called Prolix, and it was a word game that was notable in that you didn't need all the letters in your word to be represented in order to use the word. So it favored longer words rather than shorter words. It also had these really intense rules where you could steal another player's turn if they took too long. And those rules took a long time to tweak, and a lot of people really like them. But at the same time, they're hard to learn, hard to teach, and you don't really understand them until after the first play. And I think the game design community and the game and gamers now, the bar is a lot higher. And I don't think you get to get away with that anymore. So what I did is, I, at the beginning of this year, beginning of 2016, I redesigned the game. I really stripped it down and streamlined it. So now instead of taking 45 minutes, it's 20 minutes. It's all cards, so it's only $20. And it plays one to six players very smoothly, whereas Prolix could play one to five players. But each play count was very different, and the five-player game was extremely intense and difficult, to the point that I recommended the rule book that new players play with four. Whereas with Wordsy, you can play six players in your first time, and it's going to be a great time. Or you can play it solo, and it's going to be a great time. You can play with two or three players, and it's going to be a great time. And it's going to be a very consistent experience, like whether, no matter what the play count is, while there's going to be some differences, you're still very firmly playing Wordsy. So talk us through what was the change you made to allow a streamlined game that could play six players with, with no 
big difference between a stat and a single player. So with Prolix, if it's not your turn, you can interrupt the current player and sort of steal the board. The more players there are, the more likely an interrupt is going to happen, which is why a five-player game is so intense. On the other hand, Wordsy is a real-time game, so it's always everybody's turn. But I didn't want it to be a Twitch game. Like, I didn't want it to be like only the fastest player always wins all the time. So the way I did it was everybody looks at the board at the same time, and once somebody has a word, they write it down on their score sheet and they flip the timer. And that gives everybody else 30 seconds to finish writing their word. That doesn't sound like a lot of time. It is a great deal of time, and it's enough time to usually come up with something. So... Uh, then the, the way the scoring works, you know, write down the score of your word. If you're not the fastest player, but your word is better than the fastest player, you get one bonus point at the end of the game. If you're the fastest player and your word is better than everybody at the table, you will get two bonus points, is equal to or better, so you win tiebreakers. In a five or six player game, that rule's slightly different. You only need to beat three players, and that helps the game scale. So the idea there is no matter how many players there are, you're really only competing against the fastest player. And if you're the fastest player, you're competing against everybody. So the term I'm going to use is an adjacent scope. You know, you've got local scope, things that only affect you, global scope, things that affect everybody, and adjacent scope, things that only affect a few players. So Prolix was a global scope kind of game. When somebody interrupted, that was global. That affected everybody. It meant only that player could interrupt, nobody else could interrupt. With Wordsy, it's always going to be an adjacent scope. It's you versus the fastest player. And when you use adjacent scope, that tends to favor a more relaxed... Um, the game, your game tends to scale better at multiple player counts with local and adjacent scope. With global scope, it's a lot tougher to scale your game. But the, the, I'm not saying that global scope is a bad thing. What you get with global scope is you get a lot of drama. You know, you get tension, you get drama. Oh, is that player going to change the game state radically? And um, it's not impossible to work with. It just means your experience is generally going to be very finely tuned for a relatively small range of player count. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Now, when you talk about one word being better than the other, what do you mean? Is that just oh, length? yes. It's scoring. So uh, there's uh, two letters per column. One column scores five points. One column scores four points. One three points. One two points. So you score based on what letter, what column the letter is in. Uh, and again, you don't need all the letters in your word to be on the board. So if you use a word like hyperbole and there's no B on the board, that's fine. You just skip it. There's no vowels in the deck, so you're always going to skip vowels, and you can skip any consonants you want. Of course, if you have a turkey of a word that doesn't use very much letters, then you're not going to score very many points. So that's, that's your incentive to try to hit as many letters as possible on the board. So that's what players are trying to do. So if you're the fastest player, I'm trying to score more points than you. I have 30 seconds more than you, but that may not be enough. You know, whereas if you're the fastest player, you're trying to be equal to or better than everybody at the table. But if you go too fast and try to rush people, people are going to figure out a better word than yours. Interesting, interesting. Well, let's talk a little bit more about Kickstarter. So you've been on Kickstarter for what? Two weeks. Two weeks. How, how are things going? They're going great. We're very close to funded. As we talk right now, I think we're $500 away, and we have about 11 days to go. So, you know, we're going to fund. It's just a question of how many stretch goals we're going to knock out. Mm -hmm. What have you been using to get the word out? 
So I'm really fortunate in that I've got a relatively large social media reach. I had a pretty decent social media reach when I started Formal Ferret. Uh, that was about uh, 2,000 people or so, I think, when I started Formal Ferret. Uh, so that was not bad, and that was a good way to start. I had about uh, 2,700 people back the networks, so my reach has really grown since the networks. Uh, so I've been using mainly those folks, you know. So I use conventions. I go to conventions to get the word out. I use my mailing list. I use Twitter. And one new thing that I'm trying, I actually wrote a Twitter bot called WordsyBot uh, that lets people try the base elements of Wordsy off on Twitter. And it's been actually quite popular. People are really enjoying WordsyBot. So some people are telling me that they have to use WordsyBot every day. Just to sort of like, what's WordsyBot up to? What word is there? And that's been a really nice way to spread the word about the game. Interesting. That's, that's very clever. Where did you come up with the idea to do that? I don't know. <laughs> I, I was looking for... Oh, I, I know, I know. So what would happen is people would take pictures of a wordsy board, and then people would immediately try to figure out what the best word was on that. So it just sort of happened organically. So I was thinking of doing it once a day, but it was really hard. Like, once I inadvertently tweeted a board, and people said, so what's your word? I'm like, I totally forgot what my word was. I know it was 22 points, but I can't remember what that was. So WordsyBot really solves that in that it runs it in the background and I can go and do something else. So once Wordsy's uh, wrapped up, what's next for Formal Ferret? Uh, next is the expansion for the networks, and that's going to hit Kickstarter sometime in 2017, probably anywhere between March and July. That's the best I can tell for now. I mean, it might be earlier, it might be later, not quite sure. Well, probably not earlier, but entirely possible it might be later. All really depends on how things go. Can you give us a sneak peek of what that looks like? Yeah, absolutely. So with the expansion for the networks, uh, if you know about the networks, or if you don't know about the networks, I should say, it's a like a middleweight strategy game where the players are all TV network executives. You start the game with a little bit of money and three terrible TV shows, and you try to get the most viewers over five seasons. So the expansion gives each player a separate network that they can run that has its own pros and cons. So maybe I'm a public television network, and I can't get ads on my network. I ignore ad requirements on shows, and I can't pull ads into my green room. I could land them and get some money from them, but I don't get as much as the other players. So what do I do about a money crunch? Same as any publicly tele funded uh, television network, I hold a fundraiser. Once per season, I can ask two other players for $2 million each. If they give it to me, they each get two viewers. So it's a lot of very thematic stuff like that, keeping in with the whole feel of the game. The game feels very thematic, and the expansion is going to feel very thematic as well. Yeah, that's very fun. So one thing we like to do here on Your Tables on Fire is... Uh, help aspiring game designers. So if you had one piece of advice for someone who's maybe trying to launch their first game, what would you tell them? Play test like crazy. I mean, that's the obvious piece of advice, you know. I mean, a game's never really done, you know. That's that's one another reason I started Formal Ferret is I didn't want to have to bug a publisher like a month before or like a few weeks before the game hit publication. Oh, I found something else I could do, you know. As a publisher, I could sneak it in myself, you know, and I don't feel so bad about that. Uh, what I, uh, I mean, I feel bad for the artist. I try not to mess with my artist and graphic designer too much, but I do have the flexibility of making last-second changes if I feel like they're, they're warranted. But And that all comes from playtesting. Like, I'm always playtesting, always iterating, always watching how people go. Early in the 
process, I'm just looking to see if the game is fun and interesting. Late in the process, I'm testing the graphic design, and I'm blind testing the rule books. You know, I'm just watching people play without telling them how to play and seeing if they can figure it out from the rule book. So those play tests are quite, quite crucial. Another thing is network. You know, test with designers. Early in the process, it's really good to test with other designers because they can see things that other players might see but won't really be able to put into words you know they can say oh well i can see what's happening with your game state it's x y and z interesting yeah good good advice well gil if you have just a minute one thing we like to do on your tables on fire is play the game design challenge all right what's that all right so here's what i do i'm going to pick a random game theme i'm going to pitch it to you you're going to think about it and then pitch back to me what on earth that game might be you up for that yeah let's do it okay awesome so your theme is going to be Tricycle Street Gangs. You just came up with that, didn't you? Just right off the top of your head, Tricycle Street Gangs. Yes, I did. Okay. So uh, the first thing about it is it's going to be a three-player game only. <laughs> okay. I like that. Uh, so um, there's going to be three gangs. They're all going to have asymmetric powers. Um, and uh, because it's Tricycle Street Gangs, the game can't be too heavy. Like, it's not going to be a heavy strategy game. So this might even be a dexterity game. Uh, but each player has their own pieces. Maybe they have their, their own shape of pieces that they're trying to flick onto the board and mess with the other players. Uh, there's going to be neutral pieces also because they're street gangs. If they actually take out an innocent, then the cops will come and start to shut the thing down. Right. That might even be the end game trigger. I love it. Great job. Thank All you. right. Gil, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you. Thank you. Thank you. You as well. All right. Well, good luck with the rest of the show and uh, the rest of Wordsy on Kickstarter. Great. Thanks. Thanks very much. Well, that was Gil Hava, the founder of Formal Ferret Games and the designer of Wordsy, currently on Kickstarter. You've been listening to your Tables on Fire. As always, check out our website, www.yourtablesonfire.com. You'll find a link straight to Gil's project. You could also find us on Twitter, at Tablefire. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and even BoardGameGeek. Hit us up on any of those sites and give us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Well, until next time, go light it up. <laughs>